This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat. Ready to talk some more SEC football, Georgia football, Georgia baseball, Georgia softball. Now, we're not going to get too deep into all of those things, but there's some news tonight. There's some catching up to do. Uh, obviously, this is the first time that I've addressed you guys since last week's Saban Jimbo showdown. And I think everybody is probably over it, like sick and tired of it, right? I think there are some important takeaways, though. I, I don't think that Greg Sankey is going to allow these coaches to talk about this in Destin at the end of the month. And we'll be down there. Uh, next week, Dog Nation will be there for the SEC spring meetings in Destin, an invitation-only event. Uh, and I've been there a few times. And it's very productive because you have a chance to talk to all the different football coaches as well as the different schools' ADs and every now and then a league president. Uh, and, of course, Greg Sinke's there to kind of keep the peace and, and keep everything uh, in order. So I don't think you're going to see Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher still fighting it out and, and going after one another as they did last week. And I don't know that Nick Saban really said anything. I guess I'm on board with Steve Spurrier here. I don't know that he really said anything that wasn't true, although Jimbo Fisher fiercely denies that any of these players, I think he said one of the 11 early enrollees has an NIL deal. I don't know if you believe that or not. There's a lot of people that, that are throwing water on that saying, you know, that just doesn't sound right. There's just some people that can't believe that AM after going eight and four would land the number one recruiting class in the country. Now, Jimbo Fisher has challenged it and said, well, how can you prove it? And I'm just kind of like, look, I'm over this part of it. I think I know what Nick Saban was saying as far as, there's going to be times when programs with more money are going to have advantages. And Kirby has kind of said the same things. Like, do you want to, do you want this to turn into a highest bidder thing? Jimbo Fisher really hasn't said anything decrying the evils of NIL. And why would he? I mean, if you were AM or you were Texas or Oklahoma and you had all this oil money and this was going to be your way to maybe get some kids you wouldn't ordinarily get. You know, why would you complain about it? So I'll say this. I said that Nick Saban was the winner in this because as things stand, status quo, the direction this is going is that programs with more money are going to have an advantage over programs with less money. And you go, well, that's great. Georgia now, you know, Georgia's got a lot of money out. Well, they don't have as much money as AM and Texas. So I think Saban's a winner because by blowing this up and all of us have talked about it to the point where we're sick and tired of talking about it, but we've all looked closely at it. And ultimately this is going to be determined by politicians and judges and I always, so politics, right? And I think by Saban blowing this up, it goes into the court of public opinion. And I think the public in general is kind of on board with Saban and Kirby saying like, you know, we don't want players to just go to the highest bidder. We don't think that NIL should be using as an inducement for players to go somewhere, let them be somewhere and then send NILs. And I think also what Kirby and Saban want is for there to be like a base salary that you say, okay, you put this money in all these kids and football get this base salary and then certain ones are able to cut deals for more money. I think they feel like they could control that more easily. Now, the question would be, how would you enforce that? And that's where you would have to have the judges and the politicians get involved and give the NCAA that control. So I've talked about it till I'm blue in the face. Uh, Saban, I think, was very calculated with what he said. I thought Jimbo came unglued. And even though Jimbo may be right, Maybe he's right that there's no proof of it. He was so emotional and so enraged. And he let that turn so personal that all of his argument got lost in the shuffle. You know, I did some research on Texas A&M today. 
And it's just hard to believe. Do you know that Texas A&M has only had one 10-win season or more in the last 23 years? Doesn't that seem hard to believe that they've only won 10 or more games once in the last 23 years? They've never played in the SEC championship game in the 10 years they've been in the league. I mean, Texas A&M has really been somewhat of a failure when you consider the resources they have and the money that they put into hiring Jimbo Fisher. How hard must it be to be Texas A&M and watch Jimbo Fisher in year four lose to Sam Pittman in Arkansas in Sam's second year at Arkansas? Like, how does that happen? How does Sam Pittman in two years, making $3 million a year, beat Jimbo Fisher in his fourth year at Texas A&M with Jimbo on the verge of making $9 million a year, almost three times more than Sam? Think about that. If you're Texas A&M and you lose to Sam Pittman at Arkansas, I just, they're being patient with Jimbo on the surface. But I think part of the reason why Jimbo Fisher is so fired up is I think there's some people feeling some heat there at AM. It's almost like, look, man, Texas and Oklahoma are getting ready to join the league. And whatever advantage AM had by being an SEC school recruiting against Texas or Oklahoma, that's gone. If you're, in fact, if you're Texas and Oklahoma and you're recruiting kids right now, you're starting to talk to kids that are going to be freshmen when they're in the SEC in 2025. Think about that. So if you're AM, the clock's running and there's a lot of frustration. Nick Saban has kind of fingered you as doing something improper, whether or not he can prove it or not. That was the perception. Remember, we did that Dog Nation poll and if you follow me on Twitter, you saw it at Mike Griffith 32. And I said, which coach came across as more believable, Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher? 72% of the people believe Saban, right? Um, some other winners and losers. I think Georgia is a winner in this because Georgia is very much like Alabama and how they're lined up with the NIL and Kirby's thoughts on it. So the fact that Saban was able to jolt this thing and shake up status quo, that's good because Kirby doesn't want it to go to the highest bidder either. So that's a win for Georgia. I think it's a loss for Texas. They're one of these deep-pocketed programs. Uh, they'd love to see NIL be more influential in recruiting. So it's a loss for Texas. I think it's a win for Lane Kiffin. Uh, you know, Lane is kind of always out there. He says some zany things, but you know what? Lane Kiffin was on this on the front end, and now he's got Nick Saban backing him up. So I think that lends some credibility. I also think it's a win for Greg Sankey. And I know we all kind of went whatever when Greg Sankey issued a, a public condemnation of uh, Jimbo and Nick's comments. He still was able to put these multi-million dollar coaches in timeout. And there's not many commissioners, authority figures that could manage Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, and Lane Kiffin, but Greg Sankey can. And he's very much uh, like a principal. And as I've said, very professorial. When I hear him speak, I'm, I'm taking notes and I feel like I'm back in college because he'll say a word. I say, well, I'll have to look that word up later on. I mean, he really is. And sometimes I, I teased him. I made the mistake one time of making a joke. And uh, because I think sometimes... He says things in such a complicated way, and I'm thinking there's got to be an easier way to say that. But uh, I, I enjoy listening to Greg Sankey speak. I'm anxious to go down to Destin. Uh, you pretty much camp out at the hotel. Everybody goes, oh, you're going to the beach. No, no, you're really not. You're you're staying up and you're, you know, because you're sitting there listening to coach after coach after coach present in an auditorium. And then all you do all night is transcribe. You know, you go back and put the head, which is, I don't know how, other folks feel but for me transcribing tape is like the worst thing ever like it just takes so long so you'll jot down some notes of what people will say but then you got to go back and you got to listen to everything and you're just typing in everything they said and, and it's, it's painstaking but there'll be some good news that comes out of that and we're going to talk about uh some of the things that are going to be on the table beyond 
uh, this name image likeness, which I really don't think will get much more play. I really think that it's kind of a uh, jump the shark there. I, I did want to, uh, I did want to talk about though, the final thing uh, on the NIL because uh, it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Where was Kirby smart on this issue? Well, Kirby Smart talked about this two weeks ago before Saban and Jimbo blew up and everybody was paying attention. So I wanted to read you a couple of Kirby quotes on NIL so you know where he's at. Uh, One quote, Kirby said, I just want to make sure that the game stays at a point where we can control it. That's in reference to some of these audacious NIL deals like this Texas running back, B. John Robinson. This guy's got a Lamborghini NIL deal. I mean, seriously, a Lamborghini NIL, that is to a point where you can't control it. Uh, Kirby says, I would just like it where a decision isn't based on where I'm going to the highest bidder. He doesn't want kids, you know, basically just picking schools based on where they're going to get the most amount of money. I don't think, I don't think all the kids would do that. I think there's some kids who may go for the money. But I think most kids, if you could come close to the offer, but prepare them better for the NFL, they're going to choose Georgia. That's what I think. But so I understand what Kirby's saying. Um, Not only is he saying where they're going to go to the highest bidder, but he doesn't want it to turn into a negotiation. You're recruiting a kid. You think he's going to commit. He does commit. And then he gets an 11th hour offer from someone else. And now he's not committed anymore. That it makes it really hard for a coach to put a recruiting class together when you're there's constant moving parts. And you all know how meticulous Kirby is about filling positions and things like that. Um, so I think that's part of it. It was just it would just be very difficult to manage. It'd be like you had literally a million free agents coming out of high school every year. Uh, Kirby said this about recruiting. Um, I remember a second ago, I said, I think there's some kids that would go to Georgia if the offer was close, uh, provided this NIL illegal things are happening, which I, I tend to believe they are. Um, Kirby said development has taken a step back, facilities, academics, uh, what we can do for you in life after football. Those things have taken a back burner to NIL for a lot of people. In other words, those other things we talked about that Georgia can offer whether it's their top 20 academic rank as a public school, uh, the new $80 million football building, uh, their ability to develop you into an NFL player, as we just saw with 15 draft picks. Kirby's saying that those things take a backseat to NIL for a lot of those players coming out of high school. That's, that's scary. You know, Kirby pointed this out, too, that schools can't really guarantee an NIL number because kids aren't allowed to sign their NIL deal until after they're already signed to the school. So you could be promised an NIL deal, but until they've got you, until they sign you, you really won't have a guaranteed NIL deal. So he said, that's number one. Number two, he said, each kid, the NIL is going to apply differently. Obviously quarterbacks are going to be more visible, maybe defensive ends that get a lot of sacks versus an offensive guard who maybe, you know, isn't as sexy of an option to an advertiser. So he said, uh, each kid, it may apply differently. Some guys are at developmental positions and they're going to have to work very hard to get NIL money. And that's where we go back to, you know, like last year, JT Daniels sharing his NIL money with, with teammates. That was a big deal. JT bringing other guys to his autograph show so they could make some money. That was a big deal. That was in the spirit of, like Kirby said, trying to help some of those other guys at other positions make some money. Uh, I remember when we did the KM Squared show, you know, Kenny and Kendall were very much wanting to get Jamari Salyer on the show one night. We just couldn't make it work. We couldn't line it up logistically, but they really wanted to take care of Jamari Salyer and uh, Justin Schaefer, you know, some of their offensive linemen. Um, and then the other thing Kirby said, you have to be selective of going really far away from home or how big of a portal risk is a kid. Is NIL so important that he's not going to be effective as a player? So Kirby says, even as a recruiter now, uh, you've got to really consider, you know, this kid's character in terms of not is he a good kid or a bad kid, but is he going to be a kid that's going to be motivated by NIL? Um, You know, we saw this last year, Marius Mims, and to be fair to Marius, when he came out, NIL wasn't a function, right? He was already in school and now NIL is legal. 
And Amarius says, you know what? Maybe I ought to take a look at this. So he went in the portal and he did. And obviously the grass wasn't greener. You know, now all these kids are going to have portal and NIL available to them from the day they step on campus. I think this is truly a new era of college football. I look at the BCS era, 1998 to 2021. I think that's an era. I think this 23 years we've watched is over as we know it. Football as we know it is over. Yeah, they had the portal last year, and we've seen some grad transfers. There was a couple NIL deals, but nothing. Now it's wide open. And I think 2022 is going to be the first year in earnest that the NIL and the transfer portal proliferation is to an extent that we can say it absolutely influences the outcome of the season. I mean, look at Alabama. What they have, like six guys. They got the Georgia Tech running back, Gibbs. They got, you know, Burton. They got this Louisville receiver. They got this Vanderbilt offense. I mean, they got the LSU defensive back, Ricks. I mean, Alabama's gone out there and recruited four or five-star players out of the portal. And, you know, I'm not sure what to say about that, you know, because it's there for you, right? I mean, Georgia could have done it. But we've seen how Kirby has been really selective, picking guys where he's really had a need, whether it was the tight ends, um, Eli Wolf from Tennessee, Trey McKitty from Florida State the year before, um, Lawrence Cager from Miami. I think about him. There was a defensive lineman from uh, Notre Dame, didn't really pan out in 2018. Um, but we've seen different guys come in. We're going to see Ty, Tyke Smith this year, West Virginia All-American. Last year, Darian Kendrick, pretty big pickup. Um, now, Darian had been dismissed from Clemson. So it wasn't so much of a transfer as it was giving a kid a second chance. But, you know, without Darren Kendrick, right, what happens, right? So, uh, but seeing what Saban's done, he's just gone out and got, you know, Burton, which I guess they needed some receivers. Uh, and Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Georgia Tech. I mean, this is, this is pretty heavy duty. So wanted to go over that. Uh, also, don't know if you saw it last week, but Kirby attended a dedication ceremony to the new $80 million building. And I thought his words were very interesting because this is supposed to be a day to celebrate, you know, $80 million building. Well, guess what? Florida's got an $85 million building or $90 million building that's about to open up. Same with Auburn. Um, Georgia's is not going to be the latest and the greatest by the end of the summer. Florida's will be bigger, better, theoretically. I don't know. Um, Auburn will be newer, right? The, the, the facilities arms race never really stops. And Kirby said that. He said, we will not be complacent. We will not sit idly and let others pass us by. He said, it's been a catch-up game for us for quite a long time. We feel like we've caught up, but now we have to maintain and continue to grow. That is from the book of Kirby uh, last week. Josh Brooks gave Kirby a lot of credit for his leadership and for his visions uh, in terms of where Georgia is now. And I made the case and some of you, this is where some of you always get mad at me, but I said, look, it took Georgia 41 years to win a national championship. Okay. And at that, you don't win a national championship in 1980 unless you have arguably the greatest college football player of all time, who, by the way, was only a freshman and was playing with a separated shoulder the whole game, pretty much against the number one defense. You won by a touchdown, okay? That was an outlier game. It took you 41 years. You've had some good coaches. You've had some great players. You've got great fans. So what does that tell me? It tells me that your business model is not good. I brought it up here before, folks. I don't think playing Florida and Jacksonville is a good business model. I don't think a home-and-home home with Georgia Tech makes much sense. And your facilities conservative nature falling behind was also a bad decision, right? So Kirby's come in and changed the business model. The facilities have gotten caught up. And you've heard Kirby say many times how costly that game is in Jacksonville in terms of giving up a home game, especially now, right? So I wonder now that Kirby is negotiating his contract if that will be part of the deal. I did hear Brandon Adams, 
tell me one time in one of our many energetic discussions over Jacksonville, once Kirby Smart wins a national championship, he can do whatever he wants. All right, Brandon, he won the national title. So let's see now if Kirby does get his way and if the Jacksonville series ends in 2023. Right now, that series runs through 2023. This year, Georgia will only play three SEC home games. Their fourth SEC home game will be in Jacksonville. I just, with where this is going, I feel like you need every home game you can get. So there's that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about baseball and softball. Um, I've been covering that the last couple of weeks. It's the postseason. You guys know the football stuff kind of dies down. Not as much going on. Baseball is going on. Dog fans love their baseball. The softball team was at the World Series last year. Uh, so what's happening, right? So the softball team really faded, right? They got a new first-year coach. They got great bats. Georgia is a traditional powerhouse at the plate. But the pitching faltered. And alarm alarm bells here, right? I, I like this new coach, Tony Baldwin, and it's way too early to say that that he's not – I think he's a very good coach. And he was the player's choice, and he's probably the best hitting coach in the country. And he was left with a hand. It's going to take him a couple few years, two or three years, before we really see what a Tony Baldwin team looks like. But I did take issue with this. I said, Coach – and I didn't say this speaking to him, and I said this figuratively this morning on the ref. I said, I don't want to hear the Georgia softball coach tell me how good Liberty was. I don't want to hear you got to give Liberty credit. There should never be a day of the week where Georgia softball doesn't beat Liberty softball. And listen, I coach travel ball. I've covered it for years. I've been to the Women's College World Series five times, and I do understand how pitching can dominate. But there should never be a day where Liberty softball is better than Georgia on any given night. I'm sorry. Georgia's resources and talent is just incredible. They got caught asleep at the wheel coming out and lost 2-0. to zero, And ultimately that caught up with them because they had to play those extra games Saturday to like 1.47 a.m. If they take care of business against Liberty, they probably beat Duke on Saturday. And they're sitting in the catbird seat on Sunday. But because they lost that game... And, and I don't want to hear, wow, what about Duke? Listen, Duke has only been around for five years. You're telling me that in Durham, North Carolina, they can build a program in five years that run rules Georgia where all the talent? No chance, man. So I was I was disappointed with that. Now, moving on to baseball. Uh, big fan of Scott Strickland. Uh, Diamond Dogs have gotten beat up lately. They've had some injuries. You saw they did win one game against Missouri. Um, but I had some breaking news for you, right? So I'll, I'll say this. So Ben Anderson, the center fielder, scholar athlete of the year. Jonathan Cannon, the pitcher, first team in all SEC. Okay, great. They play Alabama tomorrow, 1030 Eastern in the morning. That's pretty early. Uh, dogs don't really need to win. Probably just need to come home and rest, frankly. They got a number 11 RPI. They're not going to do enough there to get a host of regional. So they'll throw Wagner, the kid Luke Wagner. They'll compete with Bama, but Bama's throwing an ace. Bama has to win. I'd be shocked if Georgia won that game. And frankly, it really doesn't matter as much for Georgia as it does for Bama. But the breaking news, the breaking news uh, was uh, I was in the dugout with Dasher. We were the only two media guys there today, the rivals guy, Anthony Dasher, interviewing Scott Strickland and a couple players. And I asked Scott Strickland, how do you compete with these other schools when the Georgia baseball facilities are, you know, not up to par? And he said, listen, we've got plans. He goes, it's not going to be officially announced until the fall. But and he proceeded to tell me about uh, what from what he talked about would be about a 20 or 30 million dollar uh, upgrade to these baseball facilities after the 2023 season and before 2024 start a year. So. After this year, right now, this offseason, Georgia kind of does one project at a time. This offseason, Georgia's getting their indoor tennis facilities up to par with hopes of hosting the NCAA tournament again. Next offseason, baseball and softball are going to be undergoing a huge transition. Uh, you're talking about what they call a pitching lab, a nutrition center, a weight room at Foley Field, a three-story building. Um, where the coaches' offices can be, new batting cages, 
uh, redone clubhouse, redone locker room. Just huge news that Georgia baseball will finally be getting up to speed uh, and up to par with some of these programs that you're trying to recruit against. I, I talked to a couple players today, uh, a relief pitcher named Jack Gowan and a hitter named uh, Parks Harbor. Both guys will be coming back. They're incredibly talented players, all-star types. And I asked them about coming to Georgia versus the other schools when they got out. Well, these are kids that just grew up wanting to play at Georgia. They didn't come to Georgia because they said, you know what, let me make a decision based on, you know, who puts more into it or anything else other than just Georgia kids wanting to play at Georgia. And there's a lot to be said for that. And I know a lot of fans go, that's the only kind we want. But the reality of it is, is there's going to be some kids that are going to make more of a business decision and they're going to look at the facilities and their ability because better facilities, it's easier to get better at better bedding cages. Right. It's like when you go to the gas station, don't you kind of judge the gas station? You're like for me, like I want to go to a gas station where if I want to go in and get a water, I can. Right. Or I want to go to a gas station where I can use my credit card at the pump and I don't have to go in and prepay. Or the pump doesn't look like it's ready to blow up or something, right? So we all make decisions, conscientious decisions, on what's more convenient or what we're comfortable with. Well, why would it be any different for a player that's looking at different schools? Well, this school over here has brand new batting cages. They've got a, a, a nutrition center. They've got, a, you know, the coach's office is right there. When I went to meet him, I didn't have to go inside a basketball facility half a mile away. You can just – the Georgia facilities – relative to other SEC facilities are that bad. And the way Scott Strickland put it is when a kid comes to Georgia and sees Foley Field, he goes, oh, man, this is great. But then you go somewhere else and they'll knock you out of your chair. And in Georgia, he said, has lost really good players like that. He's been here nine years. He's been patient. So Josh Brooks does have a plan. Josh Brooks is more aggressive in the spending than Greg McGarity was, but times have changed, right? McGarity did what McGarity did for that time, and now this is a different era with Brooks. And you're going to see Georgia be more aggressive and have a very well-planned-out facilities plan. I wish Josh Brooks would talk more about it, but Josh is one of these dot-the-I, cross-the-T's people where, well, committee A, B, and C haven't signed off on it. Technically, I'm not really – and even today, Scott Strickland was telling us about all this breaking news, and I've got a – I'll post the story tonight because um, I've got some stuff. When we get done, I will post the story and you can read about everything that's happening. Um, and Scott gets done. He goes, boy, I hope I didn't get myself in trouble. And he kind of had this, you know, cat that swallowed the canary smile. Like, and if I did, so what? He's so excited. He just can't contain himself. And if you're Scott Strickland and you've been at Georgia nine years and you're finally going to get these facilities, you would be excited too. So I want to take my halftime break, and when I come back, uh, I want to talk about the difference between Michigan, Alabama, and Georgia in preparing players for the NIL, or excuse me, for the NFL. My goodness. Uh, thank you, Dr. Freud. Um, the NFL preparation, we all saw what John Harbaugh said, and I saw some quotes today that I thought were really telling about Trayvon Walker versus Aiden Hutchinson. And then I also want to talk to you about this SEC model where the SEC is looking at doing away with divisions. And this is going to be discussed in Destin. Um, so I kind of want to tease that because I kind of want to get feedback from you all uh, as we talk about it. But right now, let's take a moment to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. They're there for us every Monday night. Thank you, Ingles. And now we give Ingles our undivided. In our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Well, thanks for sticking around. Uh, so I got the news today about Trayvon Walker. Uh, Coach Peterson says he's been doing really well. He's been in here all week, really embracing the role. Obviously been working at the one position and doing extremely well. He's such a pro. He's so hard on himself. He doesn't want to make a mistake. And you just have to tell him, hey, 
just calm down, relax. Everything's going to be okay. We have plenty of time before we play a game. You know, but you like players like that, Peterson said. They're critical of themselves and their performance because they want to do well. And he's been one of those guys. So what I took from those quotes from Peterson, Doug Peterson, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars quote, coach, is that Trayvon Walker has this sense of urgency. You know, he's really beating himself up. He's being hard on himself. I mean, here's a guy that just signed a, you know, bazillion dollar rookie deal is the number one pick. But he's in there and he's pressing and he's pushing. I mean, they're going to try to play him an outside linebacker. I mean, think about the faith that they have in Trayvon Walker, that they're going to try and play him an outside linebacker in their scheme. They like his attitude so much. And this is important to recognize that this is a guy who didn't start until his junior year. This is a guy that trusted the system. This is a guy that did his job. Didn't freelance, didn't worry about stats, didn't worry about winning any individual awards. He just did his job. He's the number one pick. And now he's in that Jacksonville Jaguars camp doing his job, right? And that's impressive to me. So in light of comments that John Harbaugh made that Michigan and Alabama prepared players better for the NFL or were more like an NFL program than anybody else, that's just stuck in my craw. And in a lot of the Georgia fans on Twitter uh, that follow me at Mike Griffith 32 on Twitter, uh, they've really been battling it out with these Michigan and the Michigan band. Well, that doesn't just because you won doesn't mean we're not preparing players better, which is one of the most inane arguments. I wasn't really looking for this, but here was a quote on Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson said his first goals of the offseason are to get back into football shape. He admitted he was sucking some wind to get started, but, quote, I'm feeling good, but definitely got to keep working. So on the one hand, we got Trayvon Walker, who's who's got this sense of urgency, and he's beating himself up for every mistake. And then over here in the Detroit camp, we got Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan guy, who went to the school that supposedly is more like an NFL team, who's not in football shape at the start of rookie camp. Hmm. All right. The other program that John Harbaugh said was better at – or more like an NFL program. And, and I, I can't argue Alabama, but I thought this was interesting. So Mac Jones is in the best shape of his life, uh, apparently going into the Patriots camp. And here's what Mac Jones said. I just cleaned up my diet. I've learned more this offseason than I probably ever have about nutrition, sleep, wellness, and all that stuff. What? You're telling me that Mac Jones didn't have state-of-the-art training and sleep, wellness, and diet and nutrition. I, I, but that just, I was blown away by that. I don't know about you, but so does it really sound, so if we just look at Mac Jones and Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson, we just take that, it sure sounds to me like the Georgia guy is a lot more ready for camp or more prepared than the Michigan guy who's still trying to get into football shape and the Alabama guy who, you know, took his whole rookie year. And then he goes, Oh, wow. I just learned more about nutrition and sleep than ever before. Wouldn't you think Mac Jones would have learned that? And I would have thought that Mac Jones would learn that. So anyway, I saw that. I'll probably do a story on that in the morning. Um, you, you have a chance to read that in the morning. Look for that Trayvon Walker headline. I'll put all that in there. So I was reading my guy, Pete Thamel. Pete Thamel works for ESPN. He's, he's one of the great reporters out there. Uh, I like Thamel. Uh, I like Pat Forty. I think he does a really good job as well. Uh, I think Brandon Marcello with 24-7 does a nice job. Uh, I think Dennis Dodd with CBS Sports. These are guys I've known for years and years and years. And uh, Pete's a natural with ESPN. And he had a really good story about um, whether or not the SEC – could stage its own college football playoff. He says it's all on the table at spring meetings. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that would happen. And the reason I don't believe that would happen isn't because I don't think the SEC would be audacious enough or, or that I don't think that it would have a lot of attention. But when I look for answers, I follow the dollar signs. And the dollar signs take me to the television contracts. I believe this is true. 
the Big Ten is on the verge of signing like a $1.2 billion, billion, billion dollar contract, $1.2 billion. Divide that up amongst 14 schools, right? So when we're talking about TV contracts that are now going into the billions, there's no way that they're going to let college football get stratified. TV rankings, excuse me, TV ratings rely on intra-conference games. I, yes, football is very much a regional sport, and in the SEC, people like watching SEC games. But what they really like is when Georgia plays Oregon or when Michigan plays Florida or when Alabama plays USC. At the end of the year, that's aren't we all just – it's Christmas, right? The bowl season and seeing, you know, you go, well, the bowls don't matter. Well, maybe they don't, but it's kind of cool to see Florida State and Stanford on the field for the first time. It's just fun to see schools from different conferences. I mean, isn't that why we all like the college football video game was playing with different teams and different stadiums. And, and, and that's just a lot of fun. Now, I think the reason the SEC is talking about that is because they want to leverage the other conferences and say, look, if you don't want to play ball with a 12-team playoff, we don't need you. You need us more than we need you. Can you imagine how watered down a championship would be if the SEC wasn't part of it or wasn't eligible for it? To me, that's what was happening with the Rose Bowl in the 1990s. When Michigan played, I can't even remember who they played. It was such an awful team. And they won in the Rose Bowl, and Nebraska just – steamrolled was it florida that year or was it tennessee 97 when they steamrolled peyton manning in tennessee and everybody looked at this and said oh my gosh if nebraska played michigan they'd kill them right um but they didn't have to play before the bcs so the the program the uh, bcs united all the conferences and, and we've just had i just can't imagine going taking a step back and not having uh a unified national title. Moose is talking about the Nebraska-Florida game. That was the year before, Moose, that Nebraska beat Spurrier. It was 97 that Nebraska beat Peyton Manning in Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. And I can't remember who Michigan played. It might have been USC in the uh, in the uh, Rose Bowl that year. But point being, I can't imagine going backwards. The other thing they're talking about is a new scheduling model. Because you're going to be bringing Texas and Oklahoma in, right? So now you've got 16 teams. And as it is, you're not seeing everybody that often. Like, for example, Georgia's only played Texas A&M once in the 10 years that A&M has been in the league. Well, I think Greg Sankey's on board with this. I know Kirby's on board with this. When we asked Kirby about this a couple years ago, I guess it was three or four years ago now, that they played LSU in Baton Rouge. And Kirby's like, I like these games. Like, I wish these kids could go to all the stadiums. So I know Kirby's behind a schedule model where they would play more teams. Now, the argument that Greg Sankey makes for not going to nine or 10 games is that the current model has been getting plenty of SEC teams into the playoffs and into the national championship. So why do you want to mess with a schedule model that served your conference well? Well, if we go to the 12-team playoff, then – you'll have more of a margin for error and it will be worth playing more conference games and taking more risk with your schedule than playing eight conference games and maybe four non-conference games, two or three of which are probably not that competitive. Right. But if we're talking about a 12 team playoff, well, now you might add another conference game. It's more profitable and you get to play more teams in your league. So how do you do that though? If you're going to go from 14 to 16 teams, how are you going to do that? So the two models they're looking at would be um, you play one annual opponent, just one, and then the other seven rotate, right? This is not divisional. You play one regular opponent, one annual rival. Who would that one SEC rival be that Georgia would play? It's got to play Florida, right? Wouldn't it be Florida? All right. The other model they're looking at is what they call the three and the six, where you play the same three teams every year, and then you rotate the other six. Well, in, in Pete's article, and, and I don't know where he heard this from. I, don't, I can't, I, I wouldn't imagine this would be Josh Brooks saying this or Kirby, 
Um, but they were saying the three teams that Georgia would play every year. And let me see if I can find this in here uh, because I was a little surprised by this. Georgia would play Auburn, Florida, and South Carolina every year. That would be the three teams. They would play Auburn, Florida, and South Carolina. Really? I, I Auburn over Tennessee? Is Auburn more of a rival than Tennessee? I, I guess I didn't really look at it that way. Um, because I feel like Auburn, you know, has Alabama and I don't know, Auburn, Florida, and South Carolina thought that was interesting. Um, but you play those three teams. I think that'd be a disadvantage too, because, you know, Auburn and Florida are usually, you know, in the top half of the league and South Carolina is not horrible. Uh, they really aren't. I, I think this year they're, you know, they've got a chance to be, you know, an upset kind of team. And and Shane Beamer seems to be doing a good job there. I mean, we'll see. Last year, you know, it was one year and they won a lot of close games. You know, they barely beat Vanderbilt, you know. But, heck, I think they beat Florida, didn't they? So, I mean, South Carolina's kind of all over the map. But I'll tell you this, South Carolina's got facilities. And South Carolina's got a recruiting base. So, to me, South Carolina's one of those, you know, teams. And, and Spurrier proved it. You know, Spurrier split with Alabama. Think about that. Spurrier split with Nick Saban when South Carolina played Alabama twice. In fact, Spurrier is the last SEC East coach to beat Saban in season. Now, Kirby did it in the championship game, but Saban hasn't lost a regular season game to an SEC East team since Steve Spurrier in 2010. Isn't that amazing? Crazy, huh? So some thoughts there. I'm going to take a look at some of your comments. I appreciate you guys firing away. I saw uh, some people are talking about the, the commenter badges. I really don't have anything to do with that. I, I don't even know for sure uh, how they work, Sonia. Um, I know that our, you know, our commenters that come all the time seem to get those, but I don't know the formula for that. I don't have a button that I could push. Uh, if I did, I would, I would give the magic badge to everybody that said nice things about me. <laughs> but uh, no, just kidding there. Um, so I'm really not sure how that works. But, I, you know, one of the things I like to do after the show, during the show, is take a look at your comments. Like James Crump has a pretty good comment here. He thinks that South Carolina will give Georgia a better game than Florida this season. You know, that that's possible because, you know, the South Carolina game is in Columbia this year. Right. So you wonder and it'll be hot. It'll be September. Um, Georgia's defense will still be pretty new and Dan Lanning will have put the blueprint out there for how to defend Georgia. I don't know if they got the players to do it, but they'll have the game plan. That's, that's one thing Lanning's going to show you. And that's going to be real interesting. I see Karen Gaddy weighed in here and said, Auburn is more of a rival than Tennessee. Uh, Auburn, Georgia is the oldest rivalry in the South. This Michigan guy needs to look at history. Uh, well, thanks, Karen. Uh, but I actually covered Auburn in 1993 and 94 as their beat writer. Uh, and uh, I can tell you that Georgia is nowhere near uh, the importance of uh, Alabama to Auburn folks. And and even covering the Auburn-Georgia rivalry, um, you know, I, I didn't really, I guess when, you know, Pat Dye and Vince Dooley brought a lot of life to that with Coach Dooley being an Auburn guy. Uh, and, uh, and Pat die, excuse me, and Pat die being a Georgia guy, kind of the irony there. Um, and, and I suppose there was a time it meant more, uh, but it really doesn't seem like it's meant that much, you know, and, and that's a, tr that's a tribute to Kirby, you know, that, that he's really kind of taken that over. I think, what has he won four out of the last five? I think Gus and Auburn beat him in the 2017 regular season and derailed Georgia when they were number one. And then Georgia came back and beat him, albeit, you know, you go back and look at that game and their running back, uh, on Johnson was injured. And I think Kirby even said that after the game, Georgia caught a break there. I think Georgia would have won that game anyway. I thought Georgia was the best team in the country in 2017. But in terms of the importance of the Georgia-Auburn game, I, I don't think Auburn is going to be uh, as big a threat moving forward as Tennessee will, not in this NIL era. Uh, Auburn has a hard time recruiting in-state against Alabama. Um, Auburn has a hard time recruiting in Georgia now against Georgia. Um, Tallahassee surging back with Florida State. I feel like Auburn's kind of got the squeeze put on them, and I don't know when Auburn's going to be really that relevant again. Tennessee, on the other hand, has just gone through a massive facilities upgrade. They're finished. 
They've got a coach, explosive offense. Uh, they got a lot of money and a lot of resources. So, um, but, you know, and, and I know covering Tennessee, uh, when they played Georgia, that was a really big game because it was off, oftentimes it was the battle for Atlanta. Uh, Tennessee says they actually consider Atlanta part of the state of Tennessee when they recruit because Atlanta is only three hours away from Knoxville, whereas Memphis, which is in Tennessee, is like six hours away. So geographically, Tennessee is quite a competitor um, for Auburn. I see Paul Moon is talking about the divisions, and I had the same questions, Paul. If, if when Texas and Oklahoma come in, they got to go somewhere, right? So do they just go in the west and then Alabama and Auburn shift to the east? And I was thinking, oh, no, that wouldn't be good at all for, for Georgia, right? But the more I hear people talk, and now especially, I don't know if you guys caught this. I, I hadn't brought this up yet. But they've recently said that you do not have to have two divisional winners to have a championship game. You can just have the two best teams. And I'm starting to wonder if we may see the East and the West divisions eliminated. You remember we were talking about those scheduling models a moment ago? If you eliminated the divisions, it would give you a lot more freedom and flexibility um, because then you wouldn't have to play those seven other teams in your divisions every year, right? So could that be coming? Could we be talking about the end of divisional play and they just picked the two best teams to play in the SEC championship game? Boy, that couldn't get political, could it? Uh, that is pretty interesting. So uh, I'm sure AM's all for that. I'm sure uh, uh, Auburn's all for that. I'm sure Arkansas's all for Anybody in the West that's had to get by Alabama. And, and you know what? I'll bet you there's a lot of East teams for that too that are tired of Georgia. I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see these ADs vote out divisional play. Uh, and that's where we get into the conversation of do you do pods? Do you do four, four-team divisions maybe? Or do you do um, just no divisions? You know, I'm not real sure. I, I see Crump with a good point here. The pod system will be activated when Oklahoma and Texas comes. Who would be the third team? Is it going to be Arkansas? Who, who's, who's the one that draws the straw there? Is it Missouri? Do we do it geographically? Um, how do we decide who's in the pods? Nobody's going. Not everybody's going to be happy. Somebody's going to get Vanderbilt and Kentucky in a pod, right? Right, and they'll be real happy. Maybe Tennessee. Tennessee will want to have Vanderbilt and Kentucky. They'll argue that geographically that they should have uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt in a pod. Um, throw in South Carolina while you're at it, right? So it could be very interesting to see how this all pans out. These are going to be the things that are going to be talked about in Destin. Uh, I'm still reading up on. I'm still, you know, considering. I've got some thoughts. You know, I'm um, as you guys know, I'm I'm a bit of a realist, and you know, to me, now that we've gone all in on NIL and kids making money, I say, you know, let's just let's just drop uh, all the pretenses about it. Let's let's create a major for football players. You can major in football, and, and but you wouldn't just go to class and learn football. You'd go to class and learn economics, investment strategy, uh, social networking. Um, you know, you you'd learn skills. Uh, you know, on your uh, to 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 your to control your own social media account, your own graphic design skills would be in there. Uh, economic classes would be in there. Community service classes would be in there. Coaching classes would be in there. And I don't think it would just be football players taking it. I think a lot of the student body would be like, you know what, I want to take that class. That's going to be an elective for me because I might just see, you know, Stetson Bennett in class that day, and then I can get his autograph or something like that. Um, but it's, it's fun to think about the future of college football. It's fun and it's sad all at once because college football, as we knew it, is going through this incredible, and this is just such an incredible change. That's why I said, this is a new era that we're going through. I mean, mark it down. This is, this is the, the, you know, the, the first day of the rest of your life once they make these decisions, right? You know, whether we're talking about how they're going to align conferences, whether we're talking about new playoffs, we're talking about NIL deals and the ability of kids to negotiate contracts while they're in college or excuse me, while they're in high school. Even we're talking about the one time transfers. Um, 
so much changing all at once. And you wonder how is Kirby going to evolve into this? You wonder how much longer Nick Saban can be successful. Uh, I thought Saban adjusted really well last year to his team. And he certainly adjusted his offense to today's rules. Um, but to me, it's just, it's a lot happening at once. And, and every day I get up, it's check the phone and, and see what, what's coming next. So uh, good talk tonight. Enjoyed the show. Uh, I hope you all, like I said, will uh, join our forum. You know, I've got some threads in our forum. I, I don't know if you guys do message boards, but we have a Dog Nation forum. And if you Google Dog Nation forum, you can join up and it's kind of a message board and different people start threads and we all just kind of go back and forth with our comments. And uh, it'd be good to see a lot of you in there. Uh, I, I'm on there every day. I put threads up. I comment. I go back and forth and write responses to people. It's just kind of easier to do that. Um, you know, during the course of the day, you kind of just take a break. Go, okay, let me take a look in the forum and see if anybody's responded to my last comment. Kind of go back and forth in there. Of course, I encourage you guys to follow me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32 Send me direct messages. We'll communicate there. Um, Facebook as well. Got a Facebook page. You can find that page. And, and of course, on all of our Dog Nation pages uh, at the bottom of articles. I mean, this interaction to me is kind of one of the things that you know, sets Dog Nation apart a little bit is we're very interactive and we, we that's by choice. We, we want to be that way. We like to be that way, whether it's me or Brandon or, or Jeff or Connor. Um, but we like to interact like that. So uh, if you want to join up, it's a good time to do it. And we start interacting tomorrow. Don't forget 1030 a.m. Diamond Dogs uh, at the Hoover Met against Alabama. I, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of incentive for George there. I know. I know Scott Strickland's trying to sell us that they want to win three games, but with all the injuries they got on their pitching staff, uh, Bama's got a lot more incentive. So do not be surprised if Alabama beats Georgia tomorrow. And don't overreact because it really doesn't mean anything. The, the big prize is the regional. Uh, Georgia's probably going to have to travel to play, and they're going to need their guys healthy and rested. Right now that's a pretty beat-up team. So uh, keep that in mind. I believe Wednesday, Jeff will have his show Wednesday night. Of course, you guys know Dog Nation Daily every day with Brandon Adams at 10. And uh, hit me up. Send me a message. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Everybody have a great week.